Hey, Lee is open, and welcome to Star Trek Discoverage, the live podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, a.k.a. Caliban, and here's some advice from a native Minnesotan. Being stuck between real space and the mycelial network is just like getting out of a snowdrift. Don't just spin your wheels. You gotta rock it. That's the key. You gotta rock it back and forth. That's how you get out. Uh, filling in for my usual co-host, he's also the co-host of the Generations Geek podcast, a more or less family-friendly celebration of geekdom on the Chronic Rift Network. He's a writer and editor of Star Trek Fiction and an international man of mystery. It's Scott Pearson. Scott, welcome back. Happy to be here as always. Scott, hello. you just got hello. You just got back from England. Uh, are you over the jet lag yet? Mostly. Yeah. Yeah, I'm my sleep patterns are still a little out of whack. Yeah, it's it's weird how that can happen and especially uh with a flight that is so long. Uh I went to England once in my 20s and we got there. I don't remember when we touched down, but it was at a normal time of day and I just went right to sleep. And then I just kept sleeping, and then I eventually woke up uh, fairly early the next day, and my family came back, and they were like, we're experiencing all the wonders of England, and you're just laying here sleeping. I, I didn't have any choice. Uh, and, of course, you were visiting Ella, who is studying abroad over there, and she's doing well, I presume. Where is she? She, uh, at well, she's going to school in London. Right. But at this very moment, as we speak, I'm filling in for her because she's on her way to Scotland. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, and this is one of those, it, this isn't like school related. This is one of those fun trips that you do uh, when you've got free time studying abroad. Right. She has a little bit of a break. So she and one of her friends are heading up to Loch Ness. Oh, wow. Okay. That's cool. I've never been there. Now, you studied abroad in England yourself. Is that right? Correct. I did a year abroad uh, in Birmingham, oh, okay. and uh, I was actually able to take a day trip to Birmingham while we, I was visiting Ella in London. So Ella got to see where I went to school 35 years ago because <laughs> okay. I'm an old man. Yes. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you didn't have to agree so quickly Yeah. Do you, that I'm uh... an old man. <laughs> uh well that's just between you and me um did you uh a lot of people complain about the food in england but when i went to england i was um i was impressed maybe we just went to the right places but i had a lot of food that i really enjoyed i enjoy some of the classic british di dishes uh you know i had a uh, I, I love fish and chips yeah i love having a classic british breakfast even though my Heart doesn't necessarily love it because it's <laughs> eggs and bacon and right. sausage, and but it hits the spot. It's it's kind of comfort food. I stay far away from steak and kidney pie, though. Ah, uh, yeah, um, that's an acquired taste for sure. Yeah, the the filter organs are not high on my list of things to eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you normally, uh, as has been established on this program, can't really talk Trek often because of your connection to the franchise and working on some of the properties. So how about Dune? What do you think about uh, all the news that's coming out about Denis Villeneuve's Dune reboot? I'm, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic. I, um, I never actually saw some of the uh, Sci-Fi Channel miniseries versions, but sure. you know, I read the original novel and I saw the David Lynch movie adaptation, which I 
kind of have a fondness for, even though it's a, you know, it's kind of a mess. It's all over the place, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but um, I, I'm I'm looking forward now to see a, a really sort of a more modern adaptation of it. Yeah, and at the very least, this cast is crazy. Everybody wants to be in this movie. You got Rebecca, Rebecca Fergus, uh, Ferguson, Timothy Chalamet, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem, Oscar Isaac. They just added Jason Momoa. Aquaman himself is going to be in this thing. <laughs> Aquaman in the desert. Yes, right. That worked out great last time. So I'm sure uh, that'll be a really good thing. Uh, You've probably heard her already, but our other guest tonight on the show is uh, my co-host from the Just Enough Trope podcast, uh, which brings you all the news that's fit to cast in the world of nerdy entertainment. It's Mika and Hana. Mika, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We talk about Trek only very occasionally on Just Enough Trope. Isn't that true? That is true. Only when it comes up. That's our guarantee. (laughs) To the yes. listeners, to the viewers, we, we, yes. We try to keep it Trek-free. It's a Trek-free space. Uh, and we we learned the hard way. Uh, I think we did a 13-show uh, uh, Jeremy ad where we went through like every movie, uh, Star Trek movie that had been released up to that date. Yes. Which, I guess if listeners are interested, they can still find in the backlog at justinoptrope.com. But we got a little feedback. Hey, stop talking about Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> It was too much. (laughs) Keep it to the other show, yeah. But uh, Mika will actually be appearing on our show, this show, Enterprising Individuals, this week to talk about some Trek news. Mm Mm-hmm, that's right. Here's a preview of that. What do you think about the news that there will be an animated show for younger viewers? Um, I think it could be good. Um, I, you know, I, to be perfectly honest, I haven't seen the original animated series at all which uh, i probably should watch some i've I've heard it's really good um i think it has the potential to be you know really great um i i think that you can do a rather kid-friendly show uh, and have it be trek still um i i think that they can you know sometimes they can deal with heavy things but i think they, they can make it enjoyable for kids and for adults so. As, long, yeah. as, long, as long as it's better than Funimation animation. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, I, of course, watched the uh, original Star Trek animated series as it was originally broadcast yeah. as a kid. And I loved it. And they didn't, you know, they didn't talk down at all to the audience. It was practically, you know, it was shorter than the original episodes. But you know, it had some of the same writers. It had most of the same voice cast. And right. it was just like, you know, shorter, more digestible episodes of the original series. And they really did some great stuff on there. Some of it was really goofy. <laughs> the animation was very basic. But, uh, you know, when you do animation, you can do anything. You know, the, the special effects budget is is limitless. And so they did some really big stuff on the animated show that they couldn't do on the original series. Of course, now with budget TV budgets, the way they are on discovery, we see really giant things every week, but I'm, (laughs) I'm looking forward to what they do with the animation. You're referring of course, to a giant 50 foot Vulcan. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, have yet to see one of those, but discovery can bring it. I know they can. So I'm still waiting for that. When they finally find Spock. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, speaking of which, uh, tonight we've seen the fifth episode of Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Saints of Imperfection, 
We're here to break it down for you. And before we start, as always, we're setting a course for the Spoiler Zone listeners, so be warned. We're glad you've decided to join us, but if you haven't seen the episode, spoilers are incoming. The official synopsis for Saints of Imperfection is Burnham and the crew navigate a dangerous alien landscape in a race to save t- a race against time to save Tilly's life, but Stamets is not at all prepared for what they find in the process. Section 31 is assigned to help track down Spock, much to Pike's dismay. This episode was written by Kirsten Beyer. Beyer is a Star Trek writer and author who oversaw the Voyager relaunch novels for Pocket Books. She was a staff writer on season one of Star Trek Discovery, and she's the executive story editor for season two. And she's also a writer on the upcoming Picard series starring Patrick Stewart. And uh, reportedly, she is uh, the, the whole series is the brainchild of, of Kirsten Beyer. So that's exciting. Um, she's also apparently the busiest woman in Hollywood. Um, I know many people who know Kirsten, and I have yet to got, get her on my show, uh, mostly because Can... I started my show right around the time that uh, things got real hot and real successful for her. So, uh, I mean, we're pr- I'm proud of her by proxy. Yes. Can, can I talk a little bit about Kirsten? Please do. Because I'm one of those people you know who knows Kirsten. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she's in incredibly busy insane like even just trying to get a phone call with her <laughs> we we have to schedule <laughs> phone calls and then even then sometimes she she can't make it because she's working on discovery she's working on the picard show there's just uh, so much going on one of my i just want to quick say one of my favorite stories about kirsten is when i first met her in person uh like 10 12 years ago at a star trek con we were both uh, uh, writer guests there, but she was more established already, and I was still just like I had won uh, the Strange New Worlds Star Trek writing contest a couple times, so I was very much feeling like the imposter. And I went up and introduced myself to her, and we chatted a little bit, and and I don't remember that I spoke a lot with her over that weekend at that con, and then flash forward a year or so to the next con where we were both at. And I guess we'd probably interacted a little bit online. This was back when like the Trek BBS was the, the, the the big thing on the interwebs. And so when I saw, when I got to the con and saw Kirsten, I went up and hadn't seen her in a year or two and was feeling like I was going to have to go up and kind of, reintroduce myself and so i walked up to her and was about to say hi kirsten it's me scott pearson we met a couple years ago and as i got close enough to her she looked up and shouted scott and (laughs) leaped up and gave me a hug because she's just the nicest person in the world (laughs) and so uh we've been you know friends ever since I've worked with her. I was the copy editor on the last couple of uh, Voyager novels that she did before she got hired on uh, Discovery. Well, the last one I copy edited was after she got the Discovery gig. And um, so we've worked together in that regard. And, you know, then we work together. Uh, I copy edit the Discovery novels as well. So and, and she's the liaison between the show and the writing, you know, and, and the tie in fiction. So, uh, right. So yeah, she's, she's a great friend and, and, um, and, and so much fun to work with. 
She was touted by a lot of the uh, news reports and stories about the new show and also by just people I know as being kind of the, I know it's a dirty word, but like the continuity cop, like the, the sort of the canon person. Mm-hmm. Um, so when people come up with things, she's got just so much of this. I mean, she's like a walking you know, Star Trek computer uh, knowing all this stuff. So having her be involved in the Picard series is really exciting for me because I know that she's going to the fact that the series is going forward into the future, you know, we're going to get to see um, some, hopefully some really great ideas from people who really know uh, what's at stake and uh, how the characters and the societies that we've already seen can evolve, you know, 20, 25 years in the future. Yeah. And she's, her memory for this stuff is, (laughs) is astonishing. She embarrasses me all the time when we're on the phone because she'll say, oh, it's like in that episode, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, I can't remember that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, granted, you know, she's in a position where she's, you know, much more needs to have that stuff on the tip of her tongue. Right. But, um, yeah, it's uh, it's amazing to me. Well, I have memory alpha for that purpose, so uh, we're even. Uh, this episode was directed by David Barrett. He's a television director, writer. He's also a producer. He directed the Star Trek Enterprise episode Divergence, and he also directed the first season Star Trek Discovery episode Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. Uh, just a little bit of uh, pedantry or background information. I believe, as far as I can tell through my research, that the uh, phrase Saints of Imperfection comes from a quote from Guillermo del Toro, who said that monsters are patron saints of imperfection, which I think probably uh, fits this episode very well. Uh, So what did you guys think of the episode? Mika, your first impressions? Um... I really liked it. I, it was kind of cool to to see, like, May and her, I guess, uh, original habitat, if you will, um, yeah. <laughs> and kind of get to see what she really wanted Tilly's help with. Um, and I was, I was really surprised by what they found there. Um, I was shocked to see Hugh um, living and breathing and... <laughs> Uh, you know, very much alive uh, and was kind of amazed that they were actually able to to bring him home. Yeah, I thought that it was I mean, of course, the you know, we already said spoilers, but the big news is, is of course, that we get right. uh, Hugh Colbert back on the show. And it's of all the I, at this point in, in genre fiction and sci fi, uh, your resurrection better be. Uh, something good and unique. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Uh, to the point where, I don't know if anybody's an X-Men fan, but uh, they brought Nightcrawler back a, a few years ago because he had died. And I think Claremont wrote, uh, wrote the story, but there wasn't even really like a good explanation. It was just, he was in heaven, he got bored, so he sailed a pirate ship back to Earth, and now he's alive again. <laughs> Which um, is certainly original, but not exactly plausible. And the fact right. that they found this weird way to bring him back, you know, using uh, the the technology that they had sort of set up in the story. And so for me, it's like one of those neat things like, you know, we've got a fake Harry Kim, you know, like we lost the other Harry Kim. And so we've got this one, but there's no real you know kind of difference. It's like we've got a whole new uh, Culber, but does he have like childhood scars? You know what I mean? Like, does he, right. is his ear pierced? Like, do, you know, is this the same guy? <laughs> it, I mean, essentially his energy is the same, but that was kind of a question that I had. Yeah, I guess we'll see how that plays 
that in the next in the next coming episodes. But uh, I thought it was a nice touch for Valentine's Day to bring Hugh back. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I just that, noticed that. Yeah, and I, I wonder how if that was just completely fortuitous, <laughs> or if, <laughs> you know, because it's it is kind of surprising. It was really I'll sweet, to... though. And it's, I mean, Ella's going to watch this on her own, but the fact that she missed this episode, well, that's enjoy Scotland, I guess. Because I know that she, <laughs> I know that she uh, cares a lot about that relationship and will be really happy to see them back together. Yes. And, and she was, uh, I spoke to her for a little bit today, just before she got on the train and she had seen some of the previews for tonight's episode and she was kind of seeing if I would give her a hint <laughs> about what was going to happen, and I didn't. I left her hanging. <laughs> yeah, well, she should know by now that that's, that's not going to happen. Uh, you're very professional when it comes to that sort of thing. Uh, as is uh, David Mack. Uh, trying to get stuff out of David Mack is like talking to a mime with two broken arms. Like, you're not well, going to get anything. We know. are... We, we, yeah, we're, we're professional and legally obligated right, to be exactly. careful about what we say. <laughs> scared of CBS lawyers. Exactly. Yes. Uh, this is a, a lot of people coming back in this episode, kind of getting the band back together here. Uh, we've got, of course, Tyler is uh, back as well. And Giorgio shows up as well. Yeah, it's the typical. They, they the, the, the series manages to be both incredibly fast paced but then also just densely packed with stuff that's going on and yeah. it just hit me it hit me tonight while i was watching it that like back in the day on next generation you would often have an episode that had an a story and a b story right and i feel like on discovery lots of times a single episode has two A stories and the B story. <laughs> There's like, <laughs> you know, these densely packed couple of primary threads going on and then something else kind of interwoven in there. And it's just, boy, you blink and you, and you miss so much because there's so much going on. Cause like you said, to have Tyler come back, to have Giorgio come back, to have Culver come back, while you're worried about Saru dying <laughs> or, or whatever happened to him, you know, and, and how's he going to be? And, and then you're thinking that you're going to watch uh, Tilly die or, or something. Wow. Yeah, it's a big week uh, for Burnham or however long this has been. Um, yeah. But I think it says a lot about her strength as a character that she takes it, you know, mostly in stride. You know, season one Burnham getting hit with everything like this within 20 minutes would have been a different story, but <laughs> she's just kind of ready to go. And I like that they're setting up um, this dynamic between her and Pike where he's the guy that comes in and he's like, hey, he's, he's the teacher who comes in. Let me rap with you guys. Turns the chair around, you know, sits down. <laughs> and he's like, uh, you know, I want to be the cool captain. So, you know, you be cool. I'll be cool. Everybody's cool. And, of course, his star pupil seems like she's going to be cool. And then she's like, oh, I got a note about this. Oh, I got to leave early for this. And all these mm -hmm. things are coming up and kind of compiling where he's like, I've seen you in action. I mean, I trust you. But how many more secrets are there going to be? Like, what else is going to jump out of the out of the woodpile here? I love how after 
Giorgio makes her entrance that she doesn't lower her phaser <laughs> with right, everyone yeah. else. <laughs> yeah. And Pike <laughs> looks at her like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, she has a little more, uh, little more information and depth uh, in that situation than the rest of them do. Yeah, uh, I, I was wondering if Section Thirty One trains you to eat fruit so menacingly. <laughs> is that a skill that you have to pick up? Because she does that really well. And speaking of Section Thirty One, in this time, um, it seems like, and we don't, of course, shadowy organization. We don't know much about them, but it seems like they're more. Um, recognized, you know, but still clandestine. Um, it, nobody seems to be shocked to find out, you know, that Section 31 is involved or even that they exist. Um, so I guess I'm wondering if we'll see something specific happen that leads to Section 31 being disbanded or, you know, going going to ground, going into the shadows. So by the time we reach the 24th century, they're just, you know, a legend or don't even exist. And I guess... I don't know what Scott can say about that, so maybe I'll go to Mika. What do you think? Section 31, Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think think they're uh, interesting, and, um, you know, I think there's a lot of story capacity there. Well, Um, CBS is banking on that. Right. Um, It is kind of interesting, though, that they are actually well known and people like recognize the badges like, Oh, that's section 31. Like maybe they're taught about them or, or, you know, um, when they're training to be ensigns or whatever, they, there's like a, a section on section 31. Or something. <laughs> oh, there's a missing, there's a 29 and there's a 30 or 30 and a 32, but there's no, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. It does seem to be kind of an open secret in a strange way that, you know, there's, you know, it's kind of like James Bond always introducing himself to people. <laughs> it's like, you're supposed to be a secret agent. What's going on here? Watch me eat this apple menacingly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and, and maybe maybe what you said, I, 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 I have no idea what's going on with the uh, Michelle Yeoh series. So I'm, I'm free to talk about that. I, okay. So I, I wonder, I wonder if, it would be kind of cool if that series did explain how it how it went secret, how it became a legend, instead of being sort of this open secret amongst uh, Starfleet. Yeah, it would be interesting if because a lot of people have um, voiced concerns. Um, I mean, rightfully so about Section Thirty One as a series still fitting within the sort of positive universe of Star Trek. and the Because they are the bad guys. Yeah, they are. Yeah, well, they mm-hmm. definitely are uh, when they reach DS9 times. Um, and the producers, um, Boyan Kim and um, Erica Lippold, have both reassured people that, you know, it will still feel like Trek. So I have to wonder if maybe, you know, Giorgio, as a former uh, Kelpian slurping uh, uh, <laughs> ruler of the Terran <laughs> Empire, is personally responsible at some point in her series for some horrible thing that leads to their demise or i mm-hmm. guess maybe more interesting for her being a sort of anti-hero being somebody who's trying to prevent something like that and maybe does or, or does not succeed as far as them being known or not known it feels to me at this point at least like it's kind of like in a movie where you see like uh, the army like the army is somewhere they're in afghanistan and somebody shows up and it's like oh yeah he's from the company like sicario like josh brolin's characters you know in flip-flops and, and sunglasses 
and he's he can kind of do whatever he wants and he's like well there's nothing we can do he's from you know he's from the cia it seems kind of like that mm -hmm. so i want to see jojo yeah, in flip-flops for sure <laughs> is what you're saying instead of her <laughs> knee-high boots <laughs> yeah, yeah right yeah <laughs> Uh, let's, uh, or knee high, uh, flip-flops, uh, try that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's talk about some of the crazy technology that's on display here. I don't even know what to call it, but it, it fascinates me. Um, we see this kind of organic transporter pod, uh, which I guess I would describe as like biopunk or like growth punk. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Scott, have you ever written anything that was like biopunk? Um... No, I don't think I have. I always think. Yeah. Uh, oh, go, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that um, it doesn't. Uh, I've read a couple sort of biopunk. Uh, actually, um, I've read a great series of uh, bug punk novels uh, by an author named Car Cameron Hurley, um, which are like grossness is the watchword. <laughs> you know, anything that you could do, <laughs> which is pulling a trigger or uh, stitching somebody up, you know, with with cat gut. Uh, you do with like beetles or something instead. And it's just like the grosser, the better. <laughs> and the weirdness that the characters have come to accept is the distancing effect. So the fact that you can meet with a blue guy with antenna who lives light years away in Star Trek, that's that thing. In biopunk, it's like a Cronenberg type thing where it's like, oh, mm -hmm. sure, I'm just going to get these beetles in me and I'll be good to go. <laughs> <laughs> and they travel oh. literally to the... Uh, my CLL network, which we saw um, for a flash in the first season. Um, Mika, what, I mean, what did you think? I mean, you know, we're going to make the upside down comparisons uh, right off the bat. Uh, right. And then <laughs> I'd like some deeper uh, thoughts from you about the mycelial network. Um, it was, I, I think it was cool. Um, it was kind of uh, otherworldly and everything. Um, uh, when Maze, I guess people, I don't know, like, I forget what they're called again. Um, like they started attacking Tilly because like, that's what they do. They just like break things down. Right. Uh, and like may had to like get them away from her. Um, yeah. Uh, I think it was cool how um, discovery was like how they figured out how the ship could be kind of partway in the mycelial network and yes. partway out. Yes. Um, that was really cool. Like, like just like visually they kind of beached the ship yeah between these two <laughs> universes and the right. effects were amazing i mean it's a it's a simple i guess um comparison or like visual metaphor to make but it works so well having the fabric of space be the water and now it's a it's a submarine movie you know where like the ship is sinking and, and the compartments are yeah. filling up uh with this dangerous substance and everybody's crowded into one corner of the bridge like it was just so simple but it was right. so effective and like how the uh, mycelial network is like breaking down the ship. They're like, they don't like titanium, but they're still going to eat it. <laughs> yeah, I did think it was funny at the end of the episode. I'm sure they're just going to shoot off to the next thing. But it's more like, uh, who wants a full refit? Should we just pull into a Starbase at this point? <laughs> just know, get half right? the ship uh, redone. What I want to know is... do they have to like redo the hull? <laughs> I guess they'll have to or just replace the plating. I I wonder some spackle and a new coat of paint. Yeah, at least. no problem. Some bondo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is there a down like in the or are there planets in the mycelial network? Like, how does it work? Are they? You know, is is May and Tilly, are they interfacing on some kind of structure or is it just like an endless, you know, plane? Is there 
because we never got the sense of that before. Discovery just sort of flew in and out of it. But I wonder if there are um, structures there. It, I, I get the sense that it's just much more organic in a way that that you're not going to find buildings of any sort. But yeah. I also think that it is this kind of alternate realm that they could they could still do all sorts of stuff with if they wanted. Because really, how well defined is it? You know, it's a completely yeah. alien environment. Yeah. Yeah. If, I got the feeling if we pulled back far enough, it would just look like a Steve Ditko, Doctor Strange, you know, splash page or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Just weird things suspended in space. Um, I like the callback, too, to the first season where they talk about how, you know, if we do a, a move like this and try to bring Discovery uh, to the uh, mycelial network and leave it there, it, you know, we'll have this torsion and that that tells us like what happened to the Glen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, I, I also liked the um, bringing bringing in this thing that that they were harming the environment by by making the jumps. Right. Also, is similar to something that happened in, uh, I guess it was in the Next Generation. Uh, that for a while they weren't traveling above warp five because they found out that there was some sort of damage to the structure of subspace happening. Right. And so I kind of like showing that even in the future, that there can still be these uh, impacts to the environment, that the environment that we still have to be conscious of, of these things. It's not just, a miracle and everything works perfectly. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, which is easy to assume about Star Trek when they've got free energy and they can have chocolate sundaes whenever they want. Uh, you still yeah. want to keep those those complications in there. Um, there's a lot of uh, engineering. I guess it's all um, um, network stuff, but there's a lot of engineering concerns going on. So I did want to see uh, Jet Reno, but I guess... Uh, Tignataro wasn't available this week, but uh, I, you know, I, I was I was presuming that she, they were adding her to the cast as a semi regular member. Yeah, I was kind of surprised we didn't see her this week, to be perfectly honest, because I would have thought that she would, because she helped so much last episode, that Stamets would have her helping him. Yeah, you know, because yeah. they kind of bonded over what they went through and everything. And, because but, when you drill a hole in someone's head together, <laughs> that really. <laughs> Dear diary, <laughs> you won't believe the day I had. Uh, yeah, we're going to need a lot of gum uh, for the show after <laughs> after this week. Uh, I also liked uh, the continuing, uh, as long as it's not too oppressive, I do like nods back to earlier uh, series uh, and, of course, we get a mention of <clears throat> Cestus Three on tonight's show. Um, mm-hmm. I think they mentioned that Leland, the uh, Section 31 agent, uh, was on um, Deneva, uh, the planet from um, uh, Operation Annihilate with the uh, neural parasites. Yeah. And um, so I like things like that. I like a sense that this is, you know, a world that we've been to before. As far as he goes, <laughs> so everybody's friends with Pike, and I guess they should be. Um, but I like the fact that I kind of feel like he's not long for this world. If we want to move to the part where we start projecting into the future, because (laughs) a a good guy, section 31 agent is not going to last long, (laughs) you know? And I like the fact that he, 
at the end kind of proved that he was he was all right for what he does. You know, he was like, hey, I'm sorry that this happened unless he's totally lying. He kind of is a guy with a conscience and a guy with a conscience is not going to last very long in Section uh, 31, uh, I feel like. Yeah. And that's where uh, Giorgio <laughs> from the mirror from the mirror universe she doesn't have anything like a conscience yeah from our perspective i have to wonder so how the, she is how does the command structure work in section 31 because <laughs> it's basically uh the baldest guy is in charge and then he says do this and you go no i'm not going to and you go okay <laughs> <I guess. laughs> we're all secret uh, secret soldiers here so who can pull rank on anybody else and he says that there's court martials but what is it just the airlock like I don't, how does it even work uh, in the um, ongoing uh, attempt to establish the weekly segment where I compare Star Trek to Farscape which is a new thing I'm doing uh, there was an episode of Farscape that was a lot like this and I can't remember what it's called but uh, Moya, the ship in uh, Farscape, is going into Starburst, which is her faster-than-light travel, and she gets stuck halfway in Starburst. And so the ship fragments into, like, three different realities uh, that the crew members have to sort of bounce through in order to coordinate the, uh, you know, they have to do a Starburst again at the same exact time to put, push the ship back into normal space. And it kind of reminded me of this. Anytime I can bring up Farscape... I will. We can use this. Many, many long well, harangues on just enough trope about Farscape. Well, it's such a good show. And um, I I think, um, you know, whenever you see it's, I don't know what I'm trying to say, like, but um, it's, it's kind of cool when you see something that is maybe a similar story um, in, in a different sci-fi world. Um Sure. Uh, just then you get to, you know, kind of compare and see how the characters dealt with it differently. Yeah, a lot of them use the, uh, the same tropes. Yes. Check that out. <laughs> well, um, as we uh, near the end of the show here, did you guys have anything else that you wanted to say or point out about this episode? I always want to talk a little bit more about Tilly because sure. I just love Tilly. Yeah. Um, and a couple of the, the things in here that I uh, loved about Mary Wise's performance was, um, uh, well, f- for one thing, when she ends up in the mycelial network and she's understandably angry, just enraged. And, but, but then as soon as she gets a sense of, what's happening on, on that side, that it's this potential genocide of this entire race in that universe, then right away she just switches. And, and yeah. you know, and I just love how she overcame her anger there and was just like, okay, well, this is, this is wrong and I have to do something to right it. And there was another, there was a great little thing about... Um, when Pike gave his uh, rousing speech about them go- trying to save Tilly, he said, this is Starfleet, we keep our promises. Right. And then in the Mycelial Network, when Tilly is having, is talking to uh, uh, May, she says, where I come from, 
we keep our promises. Yep. And so, and, and I enjoyed that. And the other thing I really liked about this, and this called back to one of the ep- episodes in the first season, because um, Tilly obviously can be very nervous and she struggles with her uh, self-confidence. But when she gets into something, then she kind of just gets into it, you know? So when she decides to help in the mycelial network, she's just like, boom, she goes to the armory and picks up a big gun and she's like, okay, let's go. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And there was that great episode, great scene in the first season where, uh, she was the one who first saw the, uh, the tardigrade monster, and uh, when we thought it was a monster and also there, then she just got very serious and was like looking down into the dark corridor and taking care of business. And so uh, she just, she doesn't realize how good she is, you know, how, how professional and focused she can be because of her problems with self doubt. And um, have you guys read yet? Uh, Una McCormick's Tilly novel. No, I haven't got a chance to read it yet. Because I like how it it kind of you know when when she starts talking about how she was as a kid. She was talking back to her being about, about fourteen. Now the novel is about her when she's sixteen, mm-hmm. so it, it's it's still kind of similar. You you get to see the the growth of her character and how she's struggled with these things throughout her uh, teenage years and into her adult life. And I just think that the the performance that we get from Mary Wise just is, you know, she's such a um, relatable character. Yeah. There's, um, it reminds me, it's also her, um, her scientific um, professionalism and just her enthusiasm for, for science um, and study. And I had a similar thing when uh, I was studying science in college and there's a lot of gross things in, in like biology, like uh, dissection, <laughs> you know, snakes. Uh, I remember that we went on a marine biology um, scuba diving trip and I'd never been scuba diving or snorkeling. And I was just kind of freaked out by having, you know, fish and, and stuff near your head, you know, things that you're I'm not familiar <laughs> with. And like the mm-hmm. first time that I went down and I saw a fascinating fish or coral or something like that, it was just I was right in there. I didn't even think about the fact that. <laughs> You know, it had been kind of uh, scary to me before. So I can, yeah, I can, I can I can see where she's coming from. Mika, um, are you good? Um, I guess I just want to talk about briefly how the the admiral just mentioned tachyon radiation and that that could mean time travel. I mean, oh. to me, that's that's <laughs> kind of like Chekhov's gun. You know, like you listen to we're going to see some time travel. <laughs> you listen to the show every week, <laughs> and you've heard me say that I think it's time travel. Well, yeah, that too. There's no, no, that's, that's a good point. And uh, it's left ambiguous. Um, but yes. as we get into that, uh, we'll talk officially in our segment about uh, looking forward in the show. Uh, what do you think is coming up? What are the lights? Who's the angel? How is Spock involved? Does Culber have permanent athlete's foot now? Uh, let's speculate <laughs> on what we think is coming up. Uh, Scott's probably going to have to call in sick to this one, but Mika, you did yeah. say you did say time travel. What else? What, what about yes. the angel? What's going on with that? 
Um, I hope we finally see Spock. I was so disappointed. I mean, I love Giorgio, don't get me wrong, but I was kind of disappointed it wasn't Spock who walked off the ship. Because I really are looking... they really are teasing us. With yes, the, they with are. Spock. They certainly are. <laughs> so um, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. Um I'm kind of excited about this the new ep- the episode next week. I mean, I wasn't expecting to go back to Saru's home planet so soon. Yes. Uh, after his threat gang you know, like had fallen out, but uh, I guess he is feeling courageous and brave and <laughs> brazen. So yes. we're gonna go back. <laughs> um, but I wonder if it's the Baul that are doing the genocide i'm guessing it is um which is kind of terrifying yeah and like how do you get a message to your people when you were told you couldn't go back to your home planet well we all the time we see starfleet officers uh put on put some silly putty on their forehead and go down and pretend to be (laughs) other races so perhaps they send him back in uh you know covertly um okay what's what's really um I guess what I enjoy is what I'm trying to say is that when we learn something about a character or like a species in Trek, like we just have with um, with uh, Saru, um, it opens up so many doors. And I guess it would be weirder if we went a long time with his character and learned the truth about his people that we learn. But since we don't really know him all that well... It's it's like a kind of a quick turnaround, and so it's got all, all these questions for me, like the mirror universe, like they have Kelpians. Is do the Baul do their thing? Is it the same thing in the mirror universe, or do mirror universe um, gourmands know that you have to get uh, Kelpians <laughs> young before those uh, they, before they fall out? You don't want them then, right? Right. <laughs> I guess this isn't really all that important to talk about, but I will say that next episode, uh, next week's episode, looks real sick. Like it looks, it looks great. Uh, I wanted to mention real fast my new evolving theory about this time travel thing. I now think that the Red Angel is someone we know, and I think it might be Michael Burnham. Now, I don't know if that makes any sense, Uh. but if there's time travel involved, you can definitely go to different places in a timeline. You can see yourself, and we've seen that it has a female form, so I don't think it's any other character. Um, why, Why wouldn't it be Michael Burnham? That's my guess. Hmm. Me um, about it. Yeah, I, I had never thought about that before. Or considered that, but I feel like that makes sense, and that that would be like enough of a twist that people would be like, "What?" Um, <laughs> yeah, and bootstrap so, paradoxes are real, are real popular right now. Everybody seems to like those. So anyway, yeah, I'll run that by uh, Ella next week and see what she thinks. And maybe that's why like Spock was able to see the visions. Um, well, they're both so much early on. Definitely involved for some reason. Yep. Right. Because he was so close to her. So maybe he like his intuition like was like Possibly. going off or something. Or maybe at know. some future point he is instrumental in sending her back in order to prevent some catastrophe caused by the signals or something like that. And so it's kind of a, it's kind of a Doctor Who-y kind of idea. But <laughs> it is. That's my that's my current thought. Anyway, we will I... move I just wish that I could watch – well, this this goes, I guess, for a lot of these episodes, but I wish I could watch Ella's reaction to this week's episode because on the one hand, uh, when I was talking to her recently, uh, she said 
if I don't get to see Spock this next episode, I don't know what's going to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so right. and so she's going to not get to see Spock, but then I, you know, but then we get Culver, so. Right. right. Yeah, so I'm, I'll take that for now. <laughs> but for sure. uh, Spock coming soon, hopefully. I like the fact that they are uh, eking it out um, over the course of the show so far. You know, I like it makes a good uh, ongoing mythology you know, type mystery that you can just drop a little thing in and we can kind of keep going. Um, a lot of the things we've talked about on the show, a lot of the um, separations or arcs have a quick turnaround. Um, you know, we're all back. Everybody's back on Discovery already, which is fine. I want to see all those characters, but I like the fact that it's, you know, we're taking a little time with this. And so, well, some things, you know, when, when was it in the first season that we saw the little glowing dot land on Tilly? Uh, it was a very last episode, I believe. Oh, was it just in the last one? But it seemed so. like it seemed like that was something. Well, you know, there was the big long break between the seasons. Maybe that's yeah. what I'm thinking about. Yeah. But you know, you had to wait a long time before you found out well, what was going on with that little spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, whatever happens, we'll be here to talk about it. Of course, uh, that is our show for this week. Thanks for joining us, listeners. If you like what you hear, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at EIST Pod for updates and to get notified when new episodes of both Enterprising Individuals and Discoverage are released. You can also tweet to us on the show by using the hashtag Discoverage or email us at EIS, excuse me, EISTPOD at gmail.com. And while you're on that there old internet, why not head to your listening platform of choice and subscribe to our show? Give us a rating and a review if you think of it, because it really helps us out. Also, we've got merch. You can check out our T-shirts available on our Public store. Search for Just Enough Trope on Public. That's, of course, our parent network for our snazzy Trek wear. And if you really want to support the show, stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash EISTpod. And as always, if you like the show, please tell a friend. Discoverage will return next week on February 21st for the next episode of Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery. That episode is called The Sounds of Thunder. And I think we had speculated on an earlier show that there was a Ray Bradbury thing going on, but I don't think so at this point. It just seems like it's uh, (laughs) ominous sounds of thunder, but who knows? Uh, We're really reaching an event horizon for what we know about the show going forward. Um, Tonight was the end of the show uh, under Harberts and Berg, I believe, and we're going forward with with the Kurtz as the showrunner. Uh, So we'll see what's in store. There's very little uh, info that's been released so far. Um, But if you want that info as soon as it's available, you can listen to our main show, Enterprising Individuals, on your podcatcher of choice or at enterprisingindividuals.com. Every Wednesday, I and a guest discuss in excruciating detail a selected episode from a Star Trek series. We also have news from the Trek sphere, updates on Star Trek Discovery, of course, and interviews with science, scientists, authors, and experts. We just released the first episode of our fourth season. Uh, it's about the devil in the dark. My guest on the show was Lee Sargent, who's responsible for the Star Trek 365 project, which is a really cool thing where he created a piece of Star Trek fan art uh, every day for a year and put it on Twitter. And this year, uh, every day, He's featuring a piece of uh, fan art that people have submitted to him, and he's still looking for submissions. So if you're an artist of any skill level and you love Star Trek, go to StarTrek365.com and submit your work. And you can hear my interview with Lee on EnterprisingIndividuals.com or on your platform of choice. Mika, thanks for joining us. Uh, and I meant to ask you earlier, uh, yeah. what are, you, you, what's coming up on Just Enough Trope? What have you talked about recently? What can we look forward to? 
Yeah. Um, well, recently we've talked about uh, the films of Paul Verhoeven, uh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, we also talked about uh, Deadly Class, both the second arc of the comic book and the very first episode uh, that premiered on YouTube. Uh, and we also talked about Rashomon and its homages, so other uh, forms of like TV or movies that have paid homage to Rashomon and the Rashomon storytelling. There was a Star Trek one. Uh, Yes, there is. <laughs> There's uh, at least with, one Star Trek with Riker. Movie. Yeah, uh, right, yeah. <laughs> next generation. Yeah. Um, I love how in that episode, it's like we're trying to figure out if Riker killed this guy, right? So yes. that's that's different in every story. But in every story, he had sex with that lady. No problem. I, I know, right? <laughs> that doesn't change. <laughs> I know. Uh, what's coming up on the show? Riker. Yeah. Um, well, we are going to be this week. We're going to be t- talking about uh, about Battle Angel Alita or Alita Battle Angel, however you want to uh, say <laughs> the name of that um, right. that story, uh, the the film. And we're also going to be talking about uh, the first episode of the Umbrella Academy. Okay. And uh, coming up after that, we are going to be talking about movies based in the Golden Age of Heroes, like. The Shadow, Dick Tracy, The Phantom, and The Rocketeer. Great. And uh, no letters. I know The Rocketeer was a comic book in the 80s, but it's <laughs> <laughs> it's an homage to those Golden Age heroes. Yes. Uh, and people, where can people find Just Enough Trope? Uh, you can find us at justenoughtrope.com and at Facebook at Just Enough Trope and Twitter at Just Enough Trope. Makes sense. And Scott, yes. where can people find Generations Geek? You can find us at generationsgeek.com, and we're also on the Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And your re- most recent episode just came out? Let's see. Um, yeah, I have a, uh, we have an episode that is a, a second part of an interview with William Leisner, where we talk about his... Uh, original fiction and his Star Trek fiction. Mm-hmm. And then our next episode coming up is our long lost episode <laughs> uh, about uh, Thor. Uh, I'm not Thor about uh, Ragnarok. Right. I've, been, um, I've heard a lot about this. I've been looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Which I, which I still have to edit. And now I'm horribly behind because I was on a two week vacation in London. And so I'm, under two deadlines with a couple of Star Trek novels I have to copy edit. And then somehow in there I have to try to edit the podcast and we have to record a little bit more for it. And that's always a challenge, as you well know, because Ella's six hours ahead. And Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, she's a trooper, though. Um, you know, uh, I offer editing services. Just a little interesting thing there. <laughs> Send you my card. So anyway, yeah, uh, check that out for sure at generationsgeek.com. And that's it for us. Thanks for listening, everybody. We are signing off until next week. This is Aaron, Fermika, and Scott saying live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs>